Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Straight out of Cobham, the show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Coming up today, yet more transfer talk as the comings and goings continue. We look ahead to the visit of Spurs to Stamford Bridge. There's a big win for the Dev squad as their seven dwarves wolves. And yes, a quiz available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Back then, listener, second of our weekly Chelsea chats. I'm Matt Davis Adams, joined today by the Athletics Chelsea expert Liam Toomey. Hi, Liam. Announced for Fana. Hello. <laughs> it happened soon enough. We announced our next guest a couple of weeks ago. Jesse Parker Humphreys back with us. Jesse, they said there was only room for one double-barreled surname on this podcast. We proved them wrong. Uh, I'm happy to be uh, alongside you, Matt, bringing the, the double-barreled glory to straight out of Cobham. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Uh, we're going to start today by talking transfers. Liam, it's not going to take me long to ask you about Wesley Fofana. Apparently a £70 million bid rejected. Chelsea going to go back in again. It feels like they're getting some encouragement from Leicester here. Basically, you know, th- there is a deal to be done. You've just got to meet our price rather than he is definitely not for sale. Yeah, this is the way Leicester operate. They do have a price. It's just a very high price. Um, and if you're prepared to, to meet it, then they're not so silly as to draw um, meaningless lines in the sand, particularly when it's so clear that the player concern wants to go. You know, Leicester's whole model in signing players like Fafana in the first place is pitching them on come here, develop for a year or two. And when a good bid from a big club comes in for you, we will let you go. So they can't really in good faith turn around and say, you know, we just can't sell you this summer when there's potentially an 80, 85 million pound bid from Chelsea on the table. That's not viable. It it does look like it's going to happen. If Chelsea are prepared to go this big, the question now is just how much they'll end up paying rather than whether Fofana will be a Chelsea player, I think, because it, they clearly want him enough to pay potentially a world record fee for a defender, um, which is incredible. Um, and it, even more incredible given what they've already spent this summer and how little they've brought in, in terms of sales. But there's no doubting Fofana's a major talent. It very much seems to be someone that Tuchel wants, I think more so than Kunde um, from the Tuchel perspective. And it would be a major boost to the right side of Chelsea defence, both now and, and for the years to come. So it it looks like one that's going to get done. It's going to get done on Leicester's terms, very much so. And uh, and then probably their window will begin. They haven't signed anyone yet, but as soon as they get that money, I'd imagine there'll be a few dominoes to fall on their side as well. Jesse, from a supporter's perspective, are you bothered what the actual transfer fee is in the end? Maybe from... The perspective of if it is a world record for a defender, that puts a millstone around his neck. But other than that, do you care what the fee is? There's a sense when it, it gets into this much money, it becomes it feels like monopoly money, doesn't it? But I think the concern for me is that Chelsea have a history of spending lots of money on players and the players kind of wilting under, whether it's under that pressure or just you know, because Chelsea have overpaid and the, and the players were never quite right. I mean, I do think there's a there's a difference here with Fofana. I think we've seen that he's incredibly talented. He's also very young. I think generally as well, the pressure on defenders is is different in a way because when you think about, you know, I guess Kepa's the obvious example or, or Lukaku as well. There are very obvious metrics, right, which you look to, you know, goalkeeping errors, goals scored. It's not that defenders like can't have that issue, but I do think it becomes easier to see them as part of an entire team. And I think that changes the nature of it somewhat. I think what's exciting, obviously, though, is the, the willingness to say, 
we will continue to spend and we will still go after the players that we want because I think it would be easy again to look at, you know, the end of the Abramovich era and, and Bowley coming in and saying, well, you know, we've done the big the big spender thing before and it hasn't necessarily helped us build out a squad. I think it shows a good recognition that ultimately sometimes you do just have to pay to get what you want. And, and when it pays off, you know, you look at like a Van Dijk at Liverpool, <laughs> when it pays off, it can pay off exceptionally well. So... And what about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Liam? This one seems to be picking up a bit of traction. There's the obvious link with Thomas Tuchel having worked with him before. I guess another positive is that, you know, he's knocking on a bit. He's not going to be around forever. So he's not necessarily going to get in the way of somebody like an Armando Breuer. But but there are negatives as well, aren't they? If anybody's watching All or Nothing with Arsenal, they'll, they'll know all about that. He can be a, a disruptive character. And, and who knows what, what's going on with Barcelona? You know, you, you've got to try and deal with them again and, and make sense of what his current contractual situation is. Do you, do you think this one's got legs? Well, I think it's another extension of Chelsea and other clubs around Europe looking at the Barcelona situation and thinking something's got to give here one or two players have to shake loose at some point. They can't keep everyone and register their new signings. Don't care how many levers they pull. Um, there has to be some sort of trade-off here in terms of what Barcelona are doing and how they make the money work. And on one level, it's strange because Aubameyang's only just got there, but they now have so many forwards, um, headlined, of course, by Lewandowski, who's who's very much the the name on the marquee now for, for the Laporta regime. It's someone Tuchel knows and likes, and that's probably the biggest thing to recommend it. Aubameyang had the best scoring season of his career at Borussia Dortmund, working with Tuchel. And Tuchel knows his personality as well as his game. So I think if Tuchel wants him, it's because he he's prepared to manage that side of it as well as the football fit. And an, another way in which it could be appealing is that he's not a fixed number nine in the way Lukaku is. You know, he's someone that can move fluidly across the front three, maybe play from the left a little bit as well. You know, you, you could imagine a lot of switching with Sterling and or Havertz. He still adds speed even at his age. Clearly not a long-term fix, but it's someone that could make sense. The biggest obstacle, I think, could be Aubameyang because we've already seen in this window, not least with Frankie de Jong, that once players get to Barcelona, they're not particularly keen to leave. It's a nice place to live. It's a big club to play for. Uh, Aubameyang gave up a lot of money to go there in the first place from Arsenal. He made considerable sacrifices. Apparently, he's just bought a house there, so he. It doesn't seem like he's, you know, he's preparing for this to be just a temporary stop. So, I, I, I don't know what to make of it in terms of likelihood. I think it makes a little bit of sense from a football perspective. Uh, in terms of what it might give Chelsea immediately and how it would appeal to Tuchel. But I, I don't have a clear handle right now on how likely it would be. Uh, get yourself over to The Athletic to read the lowdown on what on earth is going on with Barcelona, because that might be the thing that dictates this. There is some talk that Aubameyang signed a fairly low contract wages-wise to get him through last season and it was supposed to go up again this season. That right, Liam? And and, and obviously, you know, if he's, if he's talking about, well, we were going to take you from 100 grand to 200 grand a week this season, but that's a Barcelona promise, then hmm, maybe not. Well, yeah, strangely enough, it's another one of these uh, we'll buy you now, pay you later situations that Barcelona seem to have got themselves into. And that could be another reason why Barcelona could be very open to getting rid of Aubameyang to get out of that liability. But again, the player has agency. This is this is football. You know, players can ultimately decide what they do. Barcelona, the Klarna of European club football. <laughs> Who saw that one coming? Um, let's talk about some outgoings because Timo Werner has now gone to RB Leipzig, gone home. Simon's written about this for The Athletic. We talked about it on Monday. Let's get your thoughts though, Jesse. Success or failure? We asked the question on Monday. He won the Champions League, but he was offside an awful lot and missed hundreds and hundreds of chances. How, how do you sum up Timo Werner at Chelsea? Yeah, I mean, you have to kind of see it as a failure, don't you? I think he's someone who the fans had an enormous amount of goodwill towards. And I think it's it, it says a lot as well when we talk about, you know, kind of Chelsea flops and in inverted commas, how attitude can endear you, even when on paper it's been terrible. Um, you know, I, I, even when you look at his 
his XG, obviously he massively underperformed, but even hit the, the numbers below that weren't exceptional either. And it just feels like one of those cases where a player who was both incredibly well suited to the Bundesliga in terms of kind of the, the space that there was to run in behind, um, as well as someone who was on a bit of a hot streak, makes the move and it just was never the never the right thing. I think it will be interesting to see whether at Leipzig he, he does refine his form. I kind of hope that it happens for him because, you know, as I said, he seems like an incredibly nice guy. <laughs> um, and it is, a, it is a real shame that it, it didn't work out. Um, I think the biggest benefit of it as well is just to be able to kind of move on from it relatively quickly. Uh, to to have been able to sell him, you know, there were points when I guess it looked like it was maybe going to just be a loan deal, and then you're like, well, we're we just going to be back in this this same position a year later, and this is going to be a player who's on our books, you know, nonstop. Um, but I think you know to kind of be able to draw a line under it for everyone makes a lot of sense. I think what Jesse says about the sale perspective is is bang on. I'm not sure we would have seen this from the previous ownership. This willingness, well, certainly this willingness to loan Lukaku back to Inter for nothing but a loan fee. This willingness to sell someone like Timo Werner at a considerable, you know, nominal loss from what you paid for him uh, two years ago. I think there's a recognition from Bowley and Clear Lake of something that I've been talking about for a long time that when you buy these players and put them on Chelsea money and they don't perform up to their contracts, they are not assets anymore. They don't have significant transfer value and you have to act accordingly if you want to move on. If you want to get your, your wage bill into some sort of order, you know, the Lukaku deal was a disaster on such a scale that the only thing Chelsea really could do, unless they were going to sack Tuchel, which is something that Abramovich might have done in, in the past, if you're going to back the coach, was to get rid of the player regardless of the cost. The only way to move on from Timo Werner was to potentially sell him at a considerable loss. You still got two years out of him. He's responsible for the greatest decoy run in Chelsea's history. No one can ever take that away from him. That that selfless run out to the left to create the space for Havertz in Porto. Um, I think getting him off the books permanently is a big win, given the money he was on. Chelsea now don't have this hanging over them for next year as they still do with Lukaku and it means you can go out and make big signings and and fill those salary spots at the top of the wage bill or give Mason Mount Reese James new contracts that put them at that level you know it it just gives you more flexibility Uh, Malang Saar probably not one of Chelsea's highest earners out to Monaco on loan with an obligation to buy Um, Jesse this feels like one that might suit everybody Saar gets to go back to France play every week Chelsea get him off the books, Monaco get a defender, happy days. Yeah, I think, again, you know, a bit like what Liam was touching on, it just feels like doing the business when when the opportunity arises and not kind of agonising over, you know, what might come in the future. And I think in the past, that's been the kind of thing that has kind of hamstrung us with players. And, you know, I think, obviously, again, this this shift that I feel like we're seeing increasingly of, you know, kind of looking to snap up younger talent and give them a go and if it doesn't work out you know that there there will be people looking for them because who doesn't want to kind of buy a defender who you still think like there's more for them to develop because they're young um you know I think it's been pretty clear that he he wasn't going to reach kind of the level that was going to allow him to uh, play regularly in this team anytime soon obviously you know there were points when when he was used and he had some good moments and, and some awful moments. But I think, again, you know, just just makes sense to kind of trim down the squad and, and give the opportunity for, for players who you actually think might develop to the, to the level required. Uh, no word yet as to whether the Monaco coach has asked Sar if he's a left-back or a centre-back bro. But if we do hear anything on that, we'll let you know. Um, Liam, is Emerson going to come to Forest on loan? I got quite excited when I saw this rumour yesterday. Not sure, but he doesn't seem to have an obvious place in Tuchel's plans anymore, does he? Tuchel was looking at him as a left centre-back slash cover for for Chilwell at left wing-back. That's now Mark Kukurea. Um, So Chelsea still have Emerson under contract. I think he's a prime 
case of someone that they're looking to sell now and realize some value for they have to be um so i'm not i'm not sure if a loan would be particularly appealing from their point of view i don't know how emerson would feel about going to forest do you tell european May- champions well yeah i mean if if you can take him down the hallway and show him the show him the trophy room maybe <laughs> but you'd have to get him there first um i yeah i don't know i i, I just think there'll be They'll be looking to try and create a market for him, perhaps from Italy. But if there's someone in the Premier League that's interested in him, great. But him and Alonso now are pretty surplus to requirements. Uh, Emerson, if you're listening, uh, Nottingham has the oldest tree in the world uh, and there's only branch of Hooters. So if you want to go and check either of those out, I'd be happy to show you around. Um, looks like Ethan Ampadu's going back out on loan again. Jesse, we spoke the other week about how, you know, maybe he'll get a look in, but he needs to play for the World Cup. But really, it was always going to be a loan for him, wasn't it? Because he just needs the minutes ahead of ahead of December in Qatar. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear there are kind of plenty of players ahead of him. I think, I feel like Ampadu is maybe becoming one of those players who his versatility actually becomes the thing that, that's the biggest the problem because you think, well, you could play him here, you could play him here, you could play him here. And then there ends up being players ahead of him in, in all of those positions. Um, everyone in Italy seems to love him. So I guess that makes sense. Um, not a bad place to spend a, spend an extra year. I guess, again, the, the question is, is how long do you keep this cycle of things going? When do you look to cash in? Do you ever really think he's going to come back, come back to the club? It doesn't really feel like he's ever kind of fulfilled the promise that, that was there when he kind of arrived all those years ago as this, you know, real... Bundekind. Um but yeah, I mean, I guess for for Ampadu and and for Wales, it just makes sense for him to to, to go and get that game time because he obviously does play a really important role within that side. So he's been part of Liam, what's been termed the bomb squad. Uh, Ross Barkley, Billy Gilmore, Ampadu, Kennedy, Mishi Batshuayi, not given squad numbers. Feels a bit harsh on Billy Gilmore. Uh, he obviously was sort of removed from the from the main group during pre-season training in America and, and sent away with the kids. There's a link with Frank Lampard there, I guess, although Everton have just signed a midfielder themselves yesterday. We've spoken about it before, but it just goes to show you, if you get a loan wrong, it doesn't go well. It can really set you back. And all of a sudden, Billy's knocking around looking for somebody to take a chance on him. Yeah, I think that's part of it, but I don't think the Norwich loan is necessarily... I don't think it's affected too much the way Tuchel thinks of Billy Gilmore. It certainly hasn't improved his standing because we, we've heard from Tuchel before that you know when you go on loan from Chelsea, he expects you to be the best player at your loan club. And, and while Gilmore had good stretches for Norwich, he, he didn't quite reach that level perhaps that Conor Gallagher did at Crystal Palace. But... Tuchel has always had doubts about Gilmore's physical profile to play in his system in the, in the centre of midfield. And I don't know if Gilmore can actually change that given his body type. I don't know if he can address that particular concern that Tuchel has. And him being cut from the pre-season squad when Kennedy, Batshuayi and an injured Ross Barkley were allowed to stick around uh, was as clear a sign as you could ever uh, hope for that you're just not in the manager's plans, uh, short-term, medium-term, probably even long-term. So I think now with Gilmore, everything is on the table, loan, sale. Um, I think they're going to they're gonna assess all the options. To be honest, I don't really see what developmental purpose another loan would serve. I think he's probably better off going somewhere permanently, somewhere that's invested in his long-term development and will play him. Um, and and building a career away from Chelsea, which is pretty sad when you think back to his how thrilling his breakthrough was just before the COVID shutdown. Have to wonder if COVID hadn't happened when it did, you know, where would he be now? Um, where would the world be now? But yeah, it's a shame because I really like watching Gilmore as a player. I think we're going to get to watch him for years, but I just don't think it's going to be in a Chelsea shirt. Yeah, it's a bit sad. Uh, Jesse, on Monday's pod, we mentioned that the women's team had signed Johanna Wrighton-Kanarid from BK Hacken. Can you tell us a bit more about her, please? Yeah, this is a very interesting signing. Um, I think she's the kind of profile who Chelsea don't have in their squad at all. She predominantly plays off the right wing. Is the kind of player who's just going to run at opposition defenders, you know, classic tricky winger, which is something that... You know, for all of the huge amounts of attacking talent that are in Emma Hayes' squad, there isn't really that kind of directness 
in the same way. And something we have seen with, with Chelsea in the past is struggling with low blocks. When you look at Chelsea's losses in the WSL over the past couple of seasons, they're few and far between, but they come against teams like Reading and Brighton, Brighton a lot of the time. <laughs> so I think there's maybe an effort from Hayes and the club to to address that and to have players who are maybe a bit more ready to, to do that kind of one-on-one stuff. I think there's also a recognition from the club, and I think this is interesting from, from Canarid to, to choose to sign for Chelsea um, because she previously left Rosengard under Jonas Eidevalf because she didn't have enough game time. And I don't think she's going to walk in and get, you know, 20 WSL starts this season. But, you know, look, when you look at Sam Kerr, Penila Harder, Frank Kirby, these are all players who are kind of 28, 29. They're not going to be Chelsea starters for the next, you know, in three seasons' time, probably, realistically. So, you know, the club have brought her in on a, on a three-plus-one deal. She's she's 25, so she's hardly one for the future, in inverse commas. But I think there's probably a recognition that, you know, at some point the club do need to look at what their kind of succession plans are for for that front three who are, you know, going into their third season now playing together. All right, that's transfer talk. We'll focus on the football next. The first home game of the season is on Sunday. It's a biggie. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman and I'm back with some good news. I'll be hosting the Athletic Football Podcast four times a week. I'll be joined by the likes of Adam Crafton, David Ornstein, Flo Lloyd-Hughes, Matt Slater and plenty more of The Athletic's brilliant journalists. And together, we'll bring you the best insight into the biggest football stories. So that's every single week, Monday to Thursday. And if you like what we do, then please follow and subscribe to The Athletic Football Podcast in all the usual places. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, at 4.30pm UK time on Sunday, Chelsea and Tottenham Hotspur meet at Stamford Bridge in what is always one of the biggest games of this season for both sides. A fixture which Chelsea have dominated in recent times, but there's a feeling in North London that a shift in power might be imminent. Joining us to offer a Tottenham take on things is the Athletic Spurs writer Charlie Eccleshare. You'll know him too from the excellent Football Clichés podcast, as well as the Totally Football Show, but probably not View from the Lane. Uh, Though if you do know a Spurs fan, feel free to tell them about the Athletic's Tottenham pod. Um, Charlie, things seem alarmingly harmonious at Spurs just now. Even Conte's content. Yeah, he's been waiting for this for quite a while as well, this this Chelsea game. I I do think he, those... um, January defeats really hurt him and he's just been biding his time waiting for another crack because as you say he uh, he feels good the mood around the club is really positive they've had a good summer and then obviously sometimes you can have that really positive summer and then it doesn't go to plan on the first day but they won and they won well top of the league so yeah they're in they're in really good shape um a lot of stock being put in the pitch side puking in Seoul, which you were there <laughs> to witness live. Um, yeah. I'm sure that's really important in Tottenham's season, but maybe more important, the fact they got their transfer business done nice and early, which, as we know from experience, is kind of key in keeping Conte happy. Yeah, they sort of flipped the, you know, often it's getting players out first and then you know, leaving the buying element to later in the window. But this time it's been very much a buy first, sell later. And... Yeah, it's been extraordinarily quick and they've been one of the busiest clubs in in the market. Conte has made no secret of how much he was demanding uh, going into the window and they, they, they've, they have backed him. Um, and I do think it's made a big, big difference because he had you know, pretty much all the signings, not quite all of them. But I think they had five already in place uh, before they went to Korea. Which meant they, you know, he could really start moulding that group. And this is his first preseason with the players, so it was even more important uh, that they had that, and that he wasn't waiting around until 
late August and then you know sort of scrabbling around to work things out then and especially this season because there are five Premier League games in August so I do think it's even more important to get your uh, work done early if you can. Uh, and obviously the likes of Kuliseski and Bentancourt came in in January but they've, they've really helped take the load off other players particularly Kuliseski it seems it's not so much of a reliance on, on Son and Kane anymore. Yeah absolutely I mean that duet has kind of become a trio he he really has um played at a level i don't think you know when when he came in january i think you know t- typically we sort of think of january signings as well yeah maybe it will help get them up to speed for the following season but he came in and after making his debut on february the 9th i think it was in the league he got eight assists five goals and he added to that with a goal and an assist on the weekend. So he's made an extraordinarily good start. And and Benton Coors made a massive difference as well. I think I think that given where they were and the fact they got top four, that will go down as one of the best January transfer windows uh, that any team's had in recent memory. I wanted to ask about Harry Kane because we're not actually that far removed. It feels like an age ago now um, from him very publicly wanting out of Tottenham very publicly, trying to court interest from Manchester City. Obviously, the context at Tottenham is very, very different now. Where do you get the sense that his his head is at in terms of potentially staying at, at Tottenham for the long term now? And, and how dangerous do you think that is for the league if there's a full, fully bought in Kane again? Yeah, I think he is. I think he is fully bought into Conte, uh, Conte Spurs. You know, he loves playing with him. He, um, you know, says he feels fitter than he's ever done. Um, Conte was speaking last week actually about how Kane was, you know, one of the first players to really buy into what he was doing. So I think there's such an, an obvious alignment there. And while there isn't a new offer on the table, there's certainly that the, the feeling is. As you say, I mean, it's night and day from where it was last year when it was so clear Kane wanted to leave. Everyone knew that they were holding him. You know, he he had to stay because Spurs had all the power because of the length of his contract. But now he he is uh, he's really enjoying his football. You can see that in the way he's playing. He feels so much more positive. And 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 um, you know, you'll remember the game in September 2021. So almost exactly a year ago that Chelsea won three 0 and Kane spent a lot of the game out on the left wing. It was in the sort of Nuno era, if we can call it that. Maybe interregnum is a better word. Um, and it was so sad. You know, he, he was so far off the pace, it seemed. And that was the case for a lot of the start of that season. Now, I think Chelsea will be worried about him going into this game. And they, they've got every reason to. He, he looks so sharp. As I say, he feels fifth than he's ever done. And that is a worry for the rest of the league because... At the moment, and certainly, this, you know, if you, if you take the second half of last season, I mean, as of December 20th or whenever it was they played Liverpool just before Christmas, he had one goal and one assist in the Premier League. He finished it with 17 goals and nine assists. So, you know, that's a pretty exceptional second half of the season, basically. Um, so he's in, he's in excellent form. And uh, yeah, the whole, the whole mood... For him, and, and and he really, it's hard to overstate how much he kind of sets the mood at that club. You know, he, when Kane's happy and firing, everything else sort of follows from it. And so this time last year, I think that did really cast a shadow over the club. And it's it's made such, Conte has made such a difference to uh, to how Kane's played and, and how he feels. You know, he's working with this elite coach. That's what he wants. They're in the Champions League. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think the rest of the league should be fearful. So Chelsea dominant in in the fixture in recent times, unbeaten in the last 11, winning nine of those. But is there a sense from a Spurs perspective that this is actually quite a good time to get to play Chelsea? Pre-season has been much more disrupted than than Tottenham's. Yeah, possibly. I mean, Conte was really at pains uh, to stress last week that Chelsea, I think he was aware of the fact that Chelsea, in a lot of people's minds, are being written off a little bit. Um, Maybe partly because they have taken a bit of time to get their business done. But I was saying this yesterday, by the end of the window, they'd have probably brought in a bunch of really, really good players and, and the picture would have changed a bit. But it maybe is. I mean, Spurs do feel a little bit further on and just things feel a little bit more harmonious. You know they're never going to go into this game with anything other than pessimism. Given, I mean, I'm going to say recent history, but the history—it's gone on. This run has gone on for such a long time. It's not even just recent history. You know, it's sort of recent and medium-term history. Um, but 
you know, if ever they were going to have a chance, I think right now uh, they'll be feeling, they'll at least be feeling that they're in a position to do themselves justice and they'll be feeling a heck of a lot better than they were in January when they suffered those three defeats and didn't score a goal. And Conte talked about afterwards, I think the phrase used was large gap. You know, and he talked at length, especially after the first defeat, the 2-0 first leg Carabao Cup one, just about how much better Chelsea were and how bad Spurs were. Uh, I, I, I don't think, um, you know, I don't think he'll be expecting it'll be anything like as one-sided as some of those games were. Uh, what's going to happen then, Charlie? Give us a prediction. I think it'll be a draw. I think a 1-1 draw. Yeah, I, I just feel like Spurs have come such a long way since then. And it was interesting, actually, in March, Conte talked about how he, he really wanted to play Chelsea just because he felt the team had come on so far. And that was, you know, that was a good few months ago. I think now they're even more attuned to Conte's methods. I think it's going to be a really tough, competitive uh, game on Sunday. Before we let you go, Charlie, thanks so much for getting the word into Regnum on the podcast. You don't know how long I've been trying. I just haven't been able to do Was it, it just me frantically Googling um, into Regnum during that bit? No? Do you think Tottenham will finish above Chelsea in the league this year? And also, where would you put the over-under line for the number of times Conte will use the word suffer? <laughs> you know very well um, many aspects. I think th- those two will appear about as often as suffer. There, are, I mean, you're no Liam from. There are those sort of tick phrases that, uh, yeah, suffer. You know very well many aspects. Um, pay great attention. Pay great yeah, attention. Pay, pay great attention. <laughs> yeah, I do think Spurs will. Fi- I think Spurs will finish third, and Chelsea will finish fourth. That was my prediction. Um, whenever it was before the season started, and I don't think I can be so fickle as to change now, especially given the fact Spurs started well. But I, I am conscious. As Conte said, that I think there's been we we do tend to put a lot of stock on uh, you know how teams perform in inverted commas in the transfer window, and I think the narrative has very much been that you know Spurs have gone and nailed it while Chelsea have struggled. But a we've still got three weeks left of the window, and b we're often very bad at evaluating how good a window is. Um, you know, often players surprise us for good and bad but yeah I, I think um, Spurs will finish third so apologies uh, Listener if you were wondering Charlie when he said Interregnum was referring I'm sure to the period in English history from the execution of Charles I in 1649 to the restoration of Charles II in 1660 Well that's just one Interregnum that's just one of many <laughs> one of many Interregnum that we've had in, in history What a Charles he was by the way Exactly <laughs> <laughs> All right, speak to you soon, Charlie. See you later. Bye-bye. Charlie Eccleshare there. Read him only in The Athletic. Uh, Jesse, from a Chelsea perspective, tell me what you're doing team-wise for this. Are you bringing Cucurella in from the start instead of Chilwell? Are you putting Kovacic in midfield? Anything changing up front? I think definitely Cucurella coming in would feel like it makes sense just in terms of how off the pace Chilwell felt, I think, against Everton and looking at how much joy Tottenham were able to get against Southampton with their wing-backs. I mean, obviously, you know, Conte wing-backs, they're so synonymous. It feels like that's the really obvious matchup. But I feel like just with Chilwell's pace at points in that game, it would it would concern me, I think. Um, in terms of, I don't know, midfield, I find it so hard to judge. I think Jorginho just like can offer so much when he finds that space, given how little creativity it felt like our attack created at points against Everton I I think I'd want to keep him in there rather than bringing in Kovacic and Kante and playing them together especially because I also thought Kante was probably one of the best players in the Everton game um I'd feel more confident about him being able to do the work that's kind of required when he's the only more defensive minded one one in that midfield um, Liam, Jesse sort of alluded to it there. How, how did Chelsea get more out of their front three? Oh, I mean, at least Mount and Havertz, Sterling did all right. But but they've got to try and get a bit more out of those attacking players than they did at, at Goodison last week. Yeah, I think they need a lot of positional interchange between those three. Maybe a slightly faster ball from midfield. It'll be interesting to see how, how Tottenham approach this, whether they try to press Chelsea high and jump all over them or whether it is very much the sort of Conte era Chelsea approach of sitting slightly on the back foot like a coiled spring just waiting to to go in transition 
at the first sign of a turnover. If that's the case, it might be a little bit more difficult for Chelsea to progress the ball. Um, what I've seen in the past when, you know, when you've got two teams of vaguely comparable quality playing virtually the same system is you do often get a tactical stalemate unless there's just a really bad mistake somewhere. So I, I kind of hope we don't see that because I think it'd be a better game if we don't. But um, it's perfectly possible. And I think there's, there is, as Jesse says, going to be a big battle on the flanks. I think the the interesting question with Kukurea as well is, if he does play, where does he play? Does he play instead of Chilwell? Or does he play on the left side of that back three because you're thinking you need more speed uh, behind to maybe enable you to play a bit higher up the pitch if you've got him and Koulibaly either side of Thiago Silva. You, you're going to need that pace against Son Kulisevsky. I think the front three, a lot of it rests on just them taking the chances that they do create, which has been a problem in the past. Um, and then as far as the rest of Chelsea's game plan, I think a lot of it will centre on trying to shut down Harry Kane when he's trying to receive the ball in between the lines on the half turn and play those balls over his shoulder into into those runners behind because if he if he gets space to do that, Chelsea will be in trouble and, and what they're doing in attack might not matter too much. Liam, do you think maybe in terms of that pace in the back three, we might see Reese start as the right side of centre back? Yeah, that's that, that's a good point, and it's. I mean, we've seen we've seen Tuchel do it for that very reason, haven't we? Um, against opponents with with very dangerous left sided forwards. The one thing I would say against that, um, in terms of the way we've seen it before, is that I'm not sure Tuchel will want to play Aspilicueta at right wing back against Tottenham. I just think they've got too much speed and too much dynamism to expose Aspilicueta in that way. If he'd maybe got a Kunde or a Fafana over the line by now, it might have been easier to to do that. Um, or you wouldn't have even needed to put James in that position. But um, it's likely to be a bit more of a, a difficult one, I think, than maybe it was even even last season. Listen, you thought we'd heard the last of Kunde on this podcast. I'm declaring <laughs> a Kunde amnesty from this point onwards. Um, really looks like it's going to be a super interesting game. As I said, Chelsea unbeaten in the last 11 meetings. They won all four of them last season. And only one of those was when Nuno was in charge of Spurs. Is, is a draw an all right result here, Jesse, for Chelsea, given what Charlie's told us about Spurs and where we feel Chelsea are? Or does it have to be a win, given that it's Tottenham? Personally, I would take the draw, just given how much good feeling I think there seems to be around Spurs at the moment and I think also in terms of it's such a tough game to have as our first game at Stamford Bridge it was not a happy hunting ground for us at home last season and to have Conte Spurs come here to start this one I would worry about how the mood could deteriorate if if we did lose um, I think whilst it's still early and as as Charlie kind of touched on there you know it does feel like this Chelsea team could look very different by the time we get to the start of September I think there's lots to be said for kind of just steadily getting through August and keeping things on an even keel until we kind of see how the whole team does take take shape once the transfer window is closed and I do think Watching this Spurs team under Conte does does scare me. I think they look really good. You know, I mean, the the Southampton result is is kind of it is what it is. Southampton make Chelsea look good at scoring goals. So, but I think when you look at them in their development from the end of last season into this one, it does feel like they are a team who who genuinely will be. You know, maybe not challenging Liverpool and Man City, but certainly kind of in and around that. We're going to have to wait until Sunday to find out how it goes down. We will, of course, react to the game in our Monday pod. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the Dev squad got their PL2 campaign up and running in spectacular style with a 7-1 mauling of Wolves on Monday night. Braces for Harvey Vale, Dion Rankin and Jaden Wareham with Alfie Gilchrist getting in on the act. Should have asked Charlie uh, if that was a suitable use of getting in on the act uh, when he was with us. Here's the excellent Chelsea youth tweeting. Before last night, the last time CFC Dev won by six or more goals was back in 2009, a 6-0 win versus Portsmouth. Charisma and DeSanto scored twice. <laughs> Nuble and Mellis once each. The last time they scored seven or more away from home was in 1991. Um, 
Jesse, this this had a bit of everything. Like Harvey Vale's two goals both came from assists from the Wolves' defence. Then the fourth goal, Dion ranking second, was like unbelievable. 1970s Brazil just passing from one end of the pitch to the other. What a brilliant start for, for Mark Robinson. Yeah, they, they looked great, didn't they? I mean, I think, you know, obviously this August period of time for, for under-23s is always a strange one because players are kind of looking on whether they're going to go out on loan, whether they're going to be playing for the entire season. And I think, you know, there was plenty of evidence within that game. I mean, I think Harvey Vale especially, that there are there are players in that side who, who honestly just look too good for that level at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think obviously... Chelsea's academy teams have have struggled over the past season to to maybe hit the heights that they they have in in previous years. But um, you know, I think also you've got to look at the kind of recruitment that's that's gone into that team, right? Mason Burstow and Amari Hutchinson playing in that that game as well. But yeah, they look very good. Yeah, Hutchinson started in this one. It's going to be interesting, isn't it, Liam, to see what what the kind of thinking is with with players like that. We thought that Hutchinson might be going to Reading on loan for the season. That one seems to have gone a bit quiet. People like him and and Harvey Vale, Vale in particular, a bit of first-team experience. People in his position in the first-team squad seem to be departing. Would that mean that there might be half a chance that he sticks around and gets the odd minute for the first team? Or or is it better for him if he goes on a a championship or lower-end Premier League loan? I mean, it's it's possible. Vale is someone that Tuchel has involved in first team training before and, and given the odd minute to here or there. He didn't give him minutes at the end of last season when he could have. Uh, and, and he wasn't particularly involved in pre-season this time around. So I'd say it's unlikely. Um, so it, it will just come down to a calculation, I think, on his part and also on Chelsea's part of whether his development is best served working under Mark Robinson in that dev squad and, well, by the looks of things, tearing things up for most of the season or going maybe to a championship club, playing against men and uh, and trying to adapt to that and, and take the next developmental leap forward. Um, but it it's going to be a tricky one because he's at the age now where I think he needs, he needs a real challenge. Um, if it's not the Chelsea first team, it, it has to be something at a slightly higher level than than he's been at. I very much enjoyed watching Dion Rankin as well. I feel like that's been that's been lacking in Chelsea's academy in in recent years. Just you know, like a really dynamic attacking right back. Uh, you know, <laughs> I just think we haven't had enough of those. Livermento, Lamptey, James, Rankin. The list goes on. Um, next up for the they are under twenty ones by the way technically this season, but we'll call them the dev squad next game they've got is against Fulham at Kings Meadow on Monday you can get tickets for that if you're nearby it's only a fiver for adults and three pounds for concessions uh, the under 18s kick off their season with a league game against Arsenal on Saturday all right Jesse's keenly anticipated quiz debut comes next this episode is supported by FX's welcome to Wrexham celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds's small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Uh, are you thinking that this is an easy fixture, Liam, or is there they're basically like there's a lot for you to lose here, isn't there, against the debutants? There's pressure on both parties, I think, ahead of this one. Anyone who's been listening to this podcast for any length of time knows that I'm horrendous at these quizzes, so there's no such thing as an easy fixture, except maybe against me. <laughs> I mean, Lucy's hammered me over the last few weeks for how easy the questions have been, and she's been pretty quiet this week, so I'm hoping that that means... <laughs> That okay, I know none. Oh, excellent, great, brilliant. At least I don't know any, so that makes me feel good. Um, it's three questions each. Chelsea versus Spurs is the theme. Jesse, you're up first. Uh, who scored the first of Chelsea's eight goals against Spurs last season? 
Ben Chilwell? Liam, can you steal it? Was it George? Uh, sorry, Tima Verna. It was not. It was Thiago Silva. <laughs> Liam, here's your first question. Who scored the last of Chelsea's eight goals against Spurs last season? <laughs> Lucy's just thinking Tony. about what holding music she's going to put in during these long silences. Tony Rudiger. It was Thiago Silva again. First and last. Nil nil. After one question. If in doubt, Thiago Silva, Mal Donaghy, Darren Barnard. Uh, Jesse, your second question. The last time Chelsea and Spurs met at Stamford Bridge in August was back in 2008. Chelsea's goal scorer that day had two years earlier scored the winning goal in the Champions League final against Arsenal. Name him. I love it when contestants sigh and squirm. It's just really valid. I'm going to blame my age on this one. Um, (laughs) Toomey looks poised. No, I don't know. I don't know. Liam, who who are you going to go for to steal? This has got to be the first time my age has been an advantage on the podcast. <laughs> um, Giuliano Belletti. Giuliano Belletti is the correct answer. It's 1 0 to Liam ahead of your second question. Here it is. Which former Traps on Spore manager scored a brace in the first ever Premier League meeting between Chelsea and Spurs? A 2 1 Blues win at White Hart Lane in 1992. Uh, Eddie Newton. Eddie Newton is correct. Okay, so it's 2-0. You need to get this right and steal the last one, Jesse, to get a draw. But nobody ever wins on their first go. Don't worry about it. Now, this is a really convoluted question, um, which I wrote and rewrote, and it might not make any sense. If you need it re-explaining, please, please do tell me. Rank these former Chelsea managers in order of who got the highest average points per game during their time as Spurs boss. So it's Glenn Hoddle, Andre Villas-Boas, and Jose Mourinho. I want the one, two, three. Who got the highest average points per game? Who got the second highest? Who got the lowest? Hoddle, Villas Boas, Mourinho. I'm going to go AVB highest, Mourinho second, Hoddle third. It's absolutely spot on, and you're on the board. And that's all you can ask for for a first appearance, really. If anybody's interested, AVB, points per match, 1.91 from 80 games. Mourinho, 1.77 from 86. And Hoddle, a measly 1.34 from 101 games. Um, you'd have loved that question, Liam, wouldn't you? Right up your street, that. Uh, here's your well, final the, one, the, though. The one thing I remembered was that they got like a, a record points tally for Tottenham in AVB's first season. I wasn't sure how they'd done about Hoddle, really. All right, well, let's see how I get on with this one. Last question of the quiz. Marcos Alonso on his way out of Chelsea, it seems. He's played more games against Spurs than any other team in his career. In 21 such matches, how many goals has he scored? I remember a couple of them. Um, Right, I'm going to say five. Jesse, do you want to steal it? Six. Oh, could have been a draw, I'm afraid. It was only three. So he got that brace in the game at Wembley. You remember the free kick back in 2017. And he also scored in a 2-1 win in February 2020. I was I was writing that question thinking, hmm, it's going to be like seven or eight, but no. Anyway, uh, Liam, are you pleased with the victory? Just about. <laughs> Just about. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't stress how little these quizzes mean to me, but within that context... <laughs> Oh, you just bought yourself some hard questions next time you're on it. Uh, that's all I can say. All uh, right, that's just about going to do it for us today. Before we go, let's have a look at what's on The Athletic for Chelsea fans to enjoy. Liam, you teamed up with Mark Carey to discover what Mark Cucurella slash Cucurella will bring to Chelsea. What did you find? Well, there was there was quite a heavy focus in the piece on what he would look like as the left centre-back in a back three, because I think that's where we're going to see him quite a lot this year, at least when Ben Chilwell's fit and flying. And he played about 25% of his minutes last season for Brighton. 
in that position, which is maybe higher than a lot of people would assume. And he, he looked very good. Um, he showed quite a few of the things that he showed as a substitute against Everton, I think, in terms of the, the sharp passing, the clever interpretation of space and angles, um, and just the, the, the general speed and mobility. He's a, he's, a very, he's a very clever footballer that I think is going to be a good asset to Chelsea. Uh, elsewhere on The Athletic, you can read Rob Tanner on why selling Wesley Fofana won't solve Leicester's problems. Uh, Matt Pizdrowski, which is almost certainly not how you pronounce his surname, has spoken to Chicago Fire goalkeeping coach about Chelsea's new American stopper, Gabrielle Slanina. Nancy Frostick's got a lovely piece up profiling the touchline fashion choices of Premier League managers. Scott Parker, we're all looking at you. Uh, loads more great stuff to enjoy, so sign up now for just a pound a month for your first six months. Head to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod to do so. Uh, Jesse, where will you be watching the game from on Sunday? I'll be watching it from France because I'm going on holiday. So there wow. we go, from the Alps. Lovely. Oh, oh man, jealous. Uh, I'll be at Stamford Bridge. Are you going to this one, Liam? I will be, yeah. Decided to show my face on the Chelsea beat for the first time in what seems like forever. Uh, so hopefully that hopefully people don't just instinctively call me Simon. Uh, that would be quite <laughs> depressing. Uh, excellent. We'll have a full debrief on what the press room buffet is looking like for the new season on Monday. There'll be plenty of other chat too. Many thanks to Jesse, to Liam, to Charlie for joining us earlier as well and to producer Lucy for knocking it all together, mainly to you though, listener, for tuning in. We'll join you again on Monday. Until then, have a great weekend. Bye for now. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.